0: Hi, I'm Mike Franzone, and welcome to The Conservative Mike. Today is episode 4 on the creation of the world. We'll be looking at the uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th day of creation. A world-famous theoretical physicist, Dr. Michio Kaku, he claims that he has found proof that God exists. Now, he stated most physicists believe in a God because of how the universe is designed. Our universe is of order, beauty, elegance, and simplicity. And it, you know, it could have been ugly and chaotic. Let me quote him. I have concluded that we are in a world made by rules created by intelligence. To me, it is clear that we exist in a plan which is governed by rules that were created, shaped by a universal intelligence, and not by chance. Dr. Kaku and Albert Einstein Both believe that God is like a mathematician. Intelligent design means that there is an intelligent designer. I mean, before we get into the days here of creation, let's look at the marvelous mystery of man. A man's body is the most marvelous physical creation in the universe. The making of a star, of a continent, of a mountain range, an ocean, is, is not to be compared with the wonder and the skill that had entered into the making of the human body. And then there's a man. A man is a soul. A man's mind. A memory. A personality. A spirit. The human body is likened to a complex factory. Inside are uncounted trillions of little pieces of intricate and marvelous machinery, speeding, working at an extreme tempo every day, every night, Every moment. Now, this vast city has 10 times trillions of inhabitants, and they're all working, each have an assigned task. They're like little cities with millions of inhabitants. And in one little speck of blood, no bigger than a pinhead, in that little one millimeter cubit of blood, there will be five million inhabitants, all busy all working, all with a specific task and a specific function. And how about the blood? In an ordinary healthy man, there's about a gallon and a half of blood, five to six is maybe seven quarts of blood. And on the inside of that blood, there are at least 30 trillion red cells called called corpuscles. They die, they're injured, they're destroyed at a rate of 72 million a minute. In your body. Now they have to be replaced and remade at a rate of 72 million a minute. A miracle. Now, inside of that little corpuscle, that one, is a scarlet red substance called hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is a protein, it has an affinity for oxygen and it carries it throughout the body and when it comes to the lungs it grabs four times as much oxygen as itself and it takes to it those living cells we have to breathe to live right now the bible says in leviticus 17:11 listen to this that the life of the flesh is in the blood it backs up everything that we know about science the life of the flesh Is in the blood. When the blood dies, the life goes out of the body, the body dies. And the red scarlet, blood of Christ, we know, was shed so that we could breathe and that we could live. That's why the psalmist shouts, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All right, let's look at the fourth day. Uh, I'm in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 14 through 19. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Verse 16. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night, and divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. The fourth day. We see the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars. Now he uses a word here, I believe it's in verse 14 let them be for signs. Let this be for signs in the heavens. Now, this includes the Zodiac. And the ancient Hebrews called it the Mazaroth. So let me read something to you from the book of Gen- uh, Job, actually. Job talks about uh, the Hebrew Zodiac, the Mazaroth. I'm going to read this to you. And it's found in Job 38, verse 31 through 32. He says, Can you bind the clusters of Pleiades, or lose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the Mazaroth, in its season, or can you guide the great bear with its club? And the Maseroth actually means the constellations. Now the sequence of the zodiac is the same in every language and culture. The names and the figures of the constellation are the same in all cultures. And I believe there's a message in the stars I believe there's a message from God in the stars. The stars outline God's plan of redemption. You find this in Psalm 147 verse 4, Isaiah 40 verse 26, and it tell us that the stars are numbered and God has a name for all the stars. And how many stars are there? Trillions and trillions of stars. And God has numbered them and named them. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6, tells us clearly that God has a message in the heavens. Listen to this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor knowledge where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God has declared that the stars, that the firmament, that the sun and the moon declare God's glory and they speak of the glory of God. Astrology is actually a satanic corruption of the Maseroth, of the Zodiac. You know, before the Tower of Babel, there was the truth about the constellations. That they actually, there's nothing wrong with the uh, astronomy, but astrology is the corruption of astronomy. After the fall there at Babel, the Tower of Babel fell, that's when this truth was corrupted. Because I believe that the uh, Tower of Babel is actually a, uh, a, uh, a tower that would reach up, a ziggurat, reaching up to heaven. And then he says here, seasons. He uses the phrase seasons. He says, let there be light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Watch for signs, the zodiac, and seasons, and for days, and years not just for religious seasons he's speaking about a climatological seasons the earth is on an axis it's inclined and here's the basic cause of these seasons and verse 16 says the stars that he has set the stars up he made the two great lights the lesser light to rule the day the, the lesser light the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, the sun and the moon, and he made the stars also. He scattered infinite number of stars throughout the universe. And we talked about this in one of our early podcasts, either episode one or two, of how big this universe is. Light energy from the stars would give light to the earth. Now creation scientists, as a creation scientist, They believe that we would be able to see stars billions of light years away at the very moment of their creation. This is the principle of what they call mature creation. Now, that brings up a question here. God created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the planets. And the question, is there life on other planets? Now, if you would have to take into account a number of factors such as gravity, galaxy types, star location, star mass, star color, the distance from, from the star, the axis tilt, the rotation period, the tidal force, the magnetic fields, the um, uh, oxygen quantity in the atmosphere. You'd have to look at atmospheric pressure and many other factors You'd have to have about 33 things occurring at the same time. Now, as scientists say, the odds of all this happening on one planet is 10 to the 42nd power. 10, here's the number, 10 with 42 zeros behind it. Not 1,000, not 10,000, not 100,000, not 100 million. Here's a 10. 10 with 40 set to zeros behind it. My friend, you have a better you have better odds at winning the lottery and getting struck by lightning on the same day. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the fourth day. Then there's the fifth day. Now let me read to you the fifth day of creation in verse 20 and 23 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures in every living thing that moves, with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. On the fifth day, God created the birds and the sea creatures. And in verse 20, we see a great variety of sea creatures and birds. They were created at the same time. But even in all of this uh, diversity, there are some similar structures that birds and reptiles and mammals all share. And My point is, what you see is a common designer, a common life force. Life came from the same designer. Life came from Almighty God. He says also here, verse 21, that these great sea creatures were created. The Hebrew word is tannin, and it's actually translated whales. But elsewhere, we find that it's also translated as a word for dragons, whales simply mean big large sea creatures and in some places it's actually that word is translated as dragons and it refers to the great marine reptiles and i believe that tannin refers to dinosaurs tannin land monsters sea serpents, dragons whales sea monsters you see where all these myths and legends came from but it's very clear that God created dinosaurs because we know that dinosaurs existed and dinosaurs lived. Now I want you to listen to the book of Job, a couple of several verses here that Job, I believe, makes reference to dinosaurs. It's uh, Job chapter 40. I'm gonna read verse 15 through verse 25. Is that it? No, excuse me, verse 15 through verse 24. Now listen real close. Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See how his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar, which is a very large tree trunk. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are the beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus tree in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade. The willows by the brooks surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes or one pierces his nose with a snare. I'll stop right here. Behemoth is the word for a large land animal. Now some people say it's a hippo. I don't think so. Because of the impressiveness of this creature and his tail is like a cedar. Only one animal fits this impressive creature and that's the dinosaur species. Now we're going to add something else and we're going to do a little background into in dinosaurs here. Job chapter 41, verse 1 to 34. Now let's see, 41, I can't read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll read bits and pieces to you. How's that? Job 31, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? And he begins to describe Leviathan. And then verse 8 says, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. That means he fights. You can't You can't catch him. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? So just looking at this creature, well, it's going to blow your mind. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Listen to verse 12. I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his great, graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? And it goes on and on. And then it says in verse 19, this blew me away too. Out of his mouth goes burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke fire goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Verse 25, when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail. Nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingshots become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He lasts at the thread of a javelin. He undersides Undersides are the sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes deep boil like a pot. And it goes on and on and on and on. Amazing. Some people say these are crocodiles. Crocodiles are not sea creatures, generally. This is, again, a marine reptile. I believe he speaks clearly of the dinosaur. Now, let's take a few minutes, just a few moments, and talk about the dinosaur. Number one, did the dinosaur really exist? Fossils of dinosaurs have been found all over the world, and their bones are displayed in museums for all to see. Scientists have been able to reconstruct many other skeletons. So we know much about how they may have looked. And that's one thing we know that does exist, and did exist, and that was dinosaurs. Well, when were dinosaurs found? Well, if you go back to the 1820s, there was Gideon Mantell, an English doctor, found some unusual teeth and bones in a, in a quarry. Dr. Mantell realized that there was something very different about these animal remains. He believed that he had found an entirely new group of reptiles. Now, by 1841, nine types of these different reptiles had been uncovered, including the Megalosaurus and the Iguanodon. How big were the dinosaurs? Well, we look at the uh, fossils of paleontology. Some were as small as chickens. Some were either even smaller than chickens. Some dinosaurs we know were really large. I mean, probably weighed an estimated 80 tons, standing 40 feet high. The average size of a dinosaur, however, was probably about, about the size of a large sheep or a bison. Well, when did dinosaurs live? Well, again, you go back, and we talked about this in Podcast 1, 2, and 3, on the creation of the world, of how you have to give the evolutionist millions, millions and millions and millions and millions of years to make it work. However, scientists do not dig up anything labeled with those ages at all. They only uncover dead dinosaur bones, all right? And their bones do not have labels attached to them telling them how old they are. In fact, there is no proof whatsoever that the world and the fossil layers are millions of years old. It is their suppositions. No scientist observed dinosaurs die, right? We know that, right? And scientists only find the bones in the here and now because many of them, all right, are uh, evolutionists and they try to fit the story of the dinosaurs into their view. So, in order to do that, they have to create millions and millions and millions of years. And I'll I tell you, you how much is a million? How much is a billion? All right, unbelievable. Think about the evolutionists. You give him billions of years, and he can make anything happen, or create anything. God made everything. The Bible says here in six days. He did this, by the way, to set a pattern for mankind. And we know we've already looked at that. You can go back and look at podcasts one, two, or three. Again, where did dinosaurs come from? Now, many fossil experts admit that no one, uh, that not one unquestionable transitional form. Now think about this, not one, we're going to get into this, the transmutation. Not one unquestionable transitional form between any group of creatures and another has ever been found anywhere. If dinosaurs evolved from amphibians, there should be, for example, fossil evidence of animals. They're part dinosaur and part something else. However, there is no proof of this anywhere. In fact, if you go into the museum, you'll see fossils of dinosaurs that are 100% dinosaur not something in between. You don't see 25% dinosaur. You don't see 50% dinosaur. You don't see 75% dinosaur. You don't even see 99% dinosaur. They're all 100%. And the Bible tells us that God created all of the land animals on the sixth day. We'll get into that later. As dinosaurs were land animals, they must have been made on this day alongside Adam and Eve, who were also created on day six. Now, Day five talks about the dinosaurs that were in the water. All right? And you can go on. There's a whole list of dinosaurs that survived in the water. And that's another group. When we get to day six, we see that these land dinosaurs were created. If God designed and created dinosaurs, they would have been fully functional, designed to do what they were created for, they would have been 100% dinosaur. And the fossil record shows exactly that. Evolutionists declare that no no man ever lived along dinosaurs. The Bible, however, makes it plain that dinosaurs and people must have lived together. What did they eat? Well, we know that the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 1 that the original animals and the first humans were commanded to be vegetarian. There were no meat eaters in the original creation. Furthermore, there was no death. It was an unblemished world with Adam and Eve and animals, including dinosaurs, living in perfect harmony, eating only plants. Now, we know it didn't stay that way very long because, go to Genesis 3, we see Adam rebelled against his creator and brought sin into the world. And when he brought sin, he brought death as well. Now, in Genesis 6, we read that all flesh, man and animals, had corrupted his way upon the earth. Now, that's the great flood that's coming, right? Perhaps people and animals were killing each other. Maybe dinosaurs started killing other animals and humans. In any case, God described the world wicked. Again, I have a whole message on that that will be coming out in Genesis 6. But because of this wicked, wickedness, God warned a godly man by the name of Noah that he's going to destroy the world with a flood. God commanded him to build a great boat called the Ark, all kinds of land animals, which must have included dinosaurs, and Noah's family could survive on board while the flood destroyed the entire earth. So the people say, well, what about the dinosaurs? Well, we know that Genesis are, uh, says that two of every, and that seven of some that were the clean animals, were land animals, were in, allowed into the ark. There were no exceptions. Dinosaurs must have been on the ark. Even though there was ample room in this huge ship for large animals, some have been said maybe perhaps God set young adults into the ark that still had plenty of room for them to grow. Well, what happened to all the land animals that did not go into the ark? Very simply, they drowned. Many would have been covered with tons of mud as the rampaging water covered the land. Because of this quick burial, many of the animals would have been preserved as fossils. And now you have a fossil record. If this happened, you would expect to find evidence of billions of dead things buried in rock layers formed from the mud all over the earth and that's exactly what you will find. Now, the Bible in Job 40 we read about, this God describes to Job who lived after the flood a great beast, which with Job was familiar. The great animal was called the behemoth and it's described as the chief Of the ways of God, perhaps the biggest land animal God had created. And impressively, he moves his tail, it says, like a cedar tree. Now, although some Bible commentaries say that they may have been an elephant or hippopotamus, the description actually fits that of a dinosaur, of a brachiosaurus, with that large, large uh, tail like a cedar tree. Elephants and hippos certainly do not have tails like a cedar tree. Look at the picture, you'll see. Now, again, very few animals are singled out in the Bible with such detailed description. Job gives a detailed description of a massive animal. Contrary to what many may think, what we may know as dinosaurs get they get more mentioned in the scriptures than most animals do. Dinosaurs, all the different kinds, must have lived alongside of people after the flood as well. Wow. So much in that (laughs) now let me continue with this fifth day this possible we're going to have to do a podcast or episode number uh five because we're running out of time verse 21 it says this let me get back to genesis chapter 1 and i want to read verse 21 listen to real close verse 21 so god created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves all right with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and he uses the phrase over and over again in Genesis 1 according to their kind according to its kind according to their kind according to its kind the word kind there in the Hebrew is mean it means boundary or species and he speaks here of a direct line of descent within a group Not just a horse, but every animal in the horse family. Now, evolution says life emerged from non-life by chance. These naturalistic processes, and they called it transmutation. And what they're saying, let me just... They're saying that a pencil became a Boeing 707. Inorganic substance became an amoeba, the amoeba became a fish, the fish became an amphibian, the amphibian became a reptile, reptile became a bird, the bird became a monkey and the monkey became I don't know, a lawyer or a politician. What you don't see is the transmutation, the animal in between the amoeba and the fish or between the fish and the amphibian, between the bird and the monkey. In creation we see mutations. We see variations, we see varieties. You have roses. You have pink, yellow, white, red roses, but they're all roses. You have chickens, you have little chickens, big chickens, red chickens, black chickens, yellow chickens, but they're all chickens. You have, all right, but what does evolution say? (laughs) The rose became an orange tree, and the chicken became a rabbit. God's hand is in creation. And you just take the, just one example, just take the ant. Just take the ant. The ant has a brain one-tenth the size of a pinhead. One-tenth the size of a pinhead. Now think about that. And yet they have colonies, they have queens, they have social ways, they have workers, they have a nursery. The ants are cattlemen. They herd and they raise amphids and milk them. They have soldiers and scouts. Ants have a sewage treatment center. They have storage. So my question is this. Who put all of that wisdom into that little blob and called it an ant brain? Well, we know that God did. God put that in that ant's brain. All right. Let's go on a little farther. We're going to do the sixth day today. How's that? The sixth day of creation. God, the creation of land, animals, and man, verse 24 through 31. All right. And God said in verse 24 of Genesis 1, Let the earth earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is in the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food. And it was so. God sought everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's see how much we can get through this, folks. Verse 24, he says, Let the earth bring forth. The bodies of the animals, like man, will all form, all formed, all the animals will form from the basic elements of the earth as man was. And he says, Let's create the living creature. And the word there means a breathing creature, a living thing. Had a consciousness, but in the sense of a soul, not in the sense of a man who has a soul and a spirit, but means he he's he's uh, has a consciousness. And did you notice there in verse 24? There are three categories of creation: create the cattle; those are domesticated animals. Create creepy things. Creepy things means reptiles or any smaller animals that move rapidly. And then he says the beast of the earth. Large non domestic animals, which includes elephants, hippos, and dinosaurs. And then what does he say there? Let me go back to that verse. Is it verse 24? Yeah, let me go back to verse 24. Listen to this. And it was so. And what does that mean? That means a logical order. He energized the universe, the atmosphere, then the plants came, then the sea creatures. And now we see animal and man. And the days of creation are done in a logical order. Verse 25 says, After or according to its kind. Again, the fossil records does not show these creatures slowly evolving. Darwin, Darwin's strongest opponents were not clergymen. They were fossil experts paleontologists let me quote Darwin, he said this the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory all the most eminent paleontologists and all our greatest geologists have unanimously often vehemently maintained that the species do not change it was the geologist and the paleontologist looking at the actual evidence who said, said no, there is no such thing as evolution and listen to evolutionist Niall Eldridge. He wrote this. We paleontologists have said that the history of life in the fossil record supports the story of gradual evolution, all the while knowing that it does not. The fossil record shows that they suddenly appear with no evolving. There is no transmutations. Everything in the fossil record is fully formed. There are no go-betweens or people in the middle now what we're going to do now we're going to stop here we're going to pick up in a podcast number was that number five i guess this is number four number five we're going to talk about man and we're going to talk about cavemen and the question is this did cavemen or ever really truly exist and that'll be our next subject All right, thank you so much for listening to The Conservative Mike. Again, you can go on my website, mikefranzone.com. There's, um, man, we got a YouTube station as well, and you see a lot of our other podcasts are there on com. All right, God bless.